Welcome to Passion Life Church. Today we begin part one of a brand new series that we've simply entitled Body Parts. And uh, we're just going to have a great time for the next five weeks. We just hope that you'd be here and uh, you're going to find out what the body of Christ is supposed to be, what Jesus meant for that to be. And to kick off our series, we have a guest speaker this morning. And I'm so excited that that he's here. You know, as a pastor, I get to introduce a lot of guest speakers. And uh, gosh, I've been in, in ministry for 22 years, something like that. And I've introduced, uh, gosh, hundreds of guest speakers, but there's some things I can say about this guest speaker that I can't say about others. Like, for instance, this guest speaker, I've known him since birth. I've known him since birth. We played Batman and Robin together. We would fight over who's Robin. How many know nobody ever wants to be Robin, but you got you to put him in there. And uh, we played, I was thinking about this growing up, we played NFL football in our living room. And we were ghetto, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. But uh, we had to be creative, so we would get socks, get white socks, put them in a ball, and then put them underneath our T-shirts, right? And those were our shoulder pads. Come on, somebody. And uh, we went full force, knocking over, breaking lamps, and we got grounded. And Well, actually, you guys today ground your kids. We got whoopings, all right? Let's, let, I'm just going to be honest. That's one of the reasons why I do not have a rear end today. It's just it's gone. There's, there's nothing there. But uh, how many of you know I turned out okay? Come on somebody. Woo, not too bad, right? Oh, yeah. And so this uh, young man who's coming, we, uh, we grew up together, and he's my brother. And I can't say uh, enough good things about him. We call him the angelic brother because he plays the drums. He's a worship leader, plays basically every instrument, can preach, and you're going to see that today. Uh, he's a fabulous dad, fabulous Uh, father to his kids. And uh, I'm so excited this morning to have uh, my brother George here. He is currently the worship leader at the South Campus in C3 in San Diego down in Chula Vista, right? Is that Chula Vista? Did I say it right? Anybody ever heard of Chula Vista? Okay, because it kind of sounds like churro, right? (laughs) Churro Vista. I like that. But uh, he is currently their worship leader. Um, down there, and uh, when they're in town, uh, I just love to have them. Would you guys just give a great round of applause to my younger brother, George Valdez? Thanks, man. Thank you. He told you we were huggers. Hello, everybody. Welcome to church. He did say younger brother. Just let's just make sure that we get that clear. I'm the younger brother. And NFL football, I was remembering that, Phil, with the, uh, with the pads, the socks under. Man, that was funny. I think I re- kind of repressed some of those memories. But, um, yeah, loads of fun. And I do remember that there was one, um, we used to do WWF, too, World Wrestling Federation. And, um, and I do remember once you body slammed me and it knocked the air out of me. I thought I was going to die. But, um, yeah, fun times, fun times. Where's beautiful Ramona? Where is she? Happy birthday, Ramona. Yeah. Come on, let's give her one more hand clap. Hey, Ramona, right there where you're standing, I just want to say that um, what's ahead of you is greater than what was behind you. What God has for you in your future, you might think, you know what, there's a lot of young people that are um, doing a lot of things in the church these days, but I, I feel to tell you that 
you will be doing things that will blow your mind and that will advance the kingdom in ways that you never expected in the days to come. God bless you. Go ahead and let's give her one more hand clap. <clears throat> yeah, so as Pastor Phil said, uh, we are kicking off uh, a, a new series called Body Parts. It's a five-part series, and, and, uh, and, and during this Body Parts series, we're, we're going to talk about what, what it means to be the body of Christ. You know, there's in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, it says this in the NIV translation. It says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So we're going to look at, at questions like, what are the things that Jesus expects of us as his body? What is the role that we play in the body of Christ? And you know, when, when Phil was telling me about the series title, meaning body parts, and, and the concept around, you know, really what we were going to be getting into, I couldn't help but think about how, as, uh, as a, you know, teenager in, in high school, I remember I was always intrigued with learning about the human body. It, it was always something that just fascinated me. I remember thinking about how, you know, the, the, all the organs in the body and how all the organs have a very specific function. And, and, and when, those, when those body parts all operate in that function that they were designed to operate in, you have this amazing thing called the human body that actually works. And I remember in, in high school, I, I got an A. I got a 98 for the year in anatomy, which is amazing because I'm not, I wasn't an A-plus student as angelic as I might have been, Phil. Wasn't an A-plus student. But in anatomy, I was. And, and it was because it was so fascinating. I remember learning 206 bones of the body and memorizing every single one of them. Now I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sort of uh, addicted to, uh, a, a, it's like a documentary show um, on TV. And I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's a show that's called First in Human. Has anybody heard of that show before? Yeah, I see somebody there with their hand up. Um, realize not too many people have heard of this, but it's a really interesting show because it, it goes into, um, you know, kind of following various different patients. And the concept behind it is that, you know, every time there's a brand new medical treatment that's, that, 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 you know, the scientists are studying and they're developing, you know, they study it in the lab so many hundreds and thousands of times and run so many different tests on it. And at some point in time, those tests with so many positive results, the government allows them to begin clinical trials. And there's one day that comes that they actually have the very first opportunity to get a human being who has maybe tried every single other treatment plan and, and they were unsuccessful. And they get to try this brand new treatment plan on them. And so um, it's a really exciting show, but to me it always goes back to the same thing, that our body is amazing, number one. God created us in the most amazing way. And secondarily is that every part of our body has a very specific function. So if you haven't seen that show, you gotta, you got to check it out. Check this out. The human brain, for example, each cell of it, listen to this. Tell me if this doesn't blow your human brain. It says, the human brain, each cell can hold five times as much information as a set of encyclopedias. Now, first of all, do we remember what encyclopedias are? <laughs> now it's like Googlepedia. Yeah, it's like, but one single cell can hold five times as much information as a set of encyclopedias. That's amazing. To put that into context, scientists don't know for sure, but they believe that the storage capacity of the brain in, like in electronic terms, for those of you, now we have these little hard drives, external hard drives, 
Scientists believe, and they, they don't know for sure because we will never know for sure, but they believe that the human brain can hold up to about a thousand terabytes of data in here. And again, to put that into perspective, uh, the um, National Archives of Britain, okay, they have over 900 years worth of history and they have it all saved in electronic format. And all of that takes up about 70 terabytes. So 1,000 terabytes is amazing. And that is the brain that God created us with. And as amazing as that brain is, if we, let's say we had a, we had a brain here in, in a big jar, glass jar filled with, what is it, formaldehyde or whatever the heck they put that in. And we had that sitting here on, on this table. The best that that could actually do for us is actually maybe gross us out, maybe fascinate some of us, we'd be interested in taking a look at it, maybe we could poke it, whatever you want to do. That's about the best it could do. That brain right there actually needs a head for it to go inside of. It needs, an eye, it needs a set of eyes, a nose, mouth, ears, in order to enable the senses. It needs organs, it needs arms and legs, in order for that brain to even have a chance at reaching the potential for which it was designed. As amazing as that brain is. So anyway, fascinating stuff the brain is. And actually, speaking of interesting things, I have for us this morning George's top 10 most interesting things about the human body. Okay, so I'm going I'm to go through these rather quickly. Um, and you can bank on the fact that these are true because I got them off the internet. So... They've got to be true. So number 10, I'm sure many of these you've never heard or knew about. After eating too much, your hearing is less sharp. Did you guys know that? If anybody's, you know, suffering from being hard of hearing, yeah, you might want to lay off the donuts. I'm just saying. Num number nine, our blood travels 60,000 miles per day. It takes about 20 seconds for a red blood cell to circle the entire body. That's fast. Number eight, in 30 minutes, the average body gives off enough heat combined to bring a half gallon of water to boil. Wow. Can everybody say, wow. Wow. That's amazing. My, my wife is sitting right here. Lily, I think you could do it faster because you're hot. That's my wife. Lily, wave. Wave. Yeah, that's my wife, Lily. And my daughter, Jaden, and my in-laws are sitting right here, Julian and Leti, and we have, well, you've already introduced the owl. <laughs> Blanca and Javier here, Val's parents are here from El Paso, Texas, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's give them a hand, clap. All right, number seven, I think we're at here. Sneezing too hard can cause a rib fracture. Wow. While suppressing a sneeze can cause damage to the blood vessels of the head or the neck. If anybody's going to sneeze today, be careful. Number six, our lungs inhale over two million liters of air every day without even thinking about it. Breathing is involuntary, as you know. Their surface area is large enough to cover one side of a tennis court. I don't even know how that's possible, but the internet says it is. Okay, number five, the length of your foot is the same as that of your forearm between your wrist and the inside of your elbow. Try it. No, you don't have to try it. Just believe me, it's true. 
You'll go home tonight, and you're going to try this. I know you will. Yeah. Number four, your feet have half a million sweat glands that produce over a pint of fluid every day. It's just gross. Number three, apart from identical twins, every single person on earth has a unique smell. Have any twins in the house? Anyone? Uh, okay. They're in the, oh, there are twins over there? Okay, go over there and give them a smell after service is over. <laughs> give them a, a real good sniff and see, which, see if this is true. Okay, uh, number two. If Barbie were life-size, her measurements would be 39, 23, 33. She would stand seven feet, two inches tall, and have a neck twice the length of a normal human's neck. That's attractive. If you're a giraffe, that would be amazing. Okay, and number one, this is the drum roll, no drum roll, that's okay. Okay, so number one, this one here is for Bobby and for Tom. So beards are the fastest growing hairs on the human body. You guys aren't average. Yeah. So if the average man never trimmed his beard, it would grow to nearly 30 feet long in his lifetime. So there you have it, Bobby. I know you were trying for that, but it's never too late, man. All right. All right. So that's, there, you, there you have it. Those are uh, my top 10 most interesting things about the human body. And, you know, a lot of that is just, just funny stuff, right? But the important thing here, kind of back to what I was saying at the beginning, is that every single function in our body, every single part of our body, fulfills a very specific function. And even some of our body parts fill actually more than just one function. They have like a secondary or a tertiary function to them. And, you know, things like your eyes, your eyes we know you know, allow us to see. We have two of them that allow us to see. But we also have two of them for a specific reason, so that we can have depth perception, so that I know, with my two eyes being able to see the way that I can, I know that my water bottle's right here, and I don't have trouble finding it if I only had one eye. So there's multiple functions. Same thing with our ears. They allow us to hear. But at the same time, having two ears and one located on each side of our head allows us to have equilibrium and balance and stabilizes us. So on and so forth. Our nose, air passage that allows and enables breathing and through our respiratory system. But at the same time, it allows us to actually sniff and, and be able to smell those twins that come walking through. But every single, body is the same, every, every single body part's the same way. There's different functions for each part of our body. All are vital, and every single one of them have a very specific purpose to them. And it's exactly the same with the body of Christ. We already read 1 Corinthians 12, 12, but let, let's look at Romans 12, 4, verses 8. Let's go to the next one. So it says, for as we have many members in one body. Now, pause right here for a second. This is Paul in the Bible talking to the church in Rome. Okay, so he says, for as we, we, the church, have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So God created each of us with very specific gifts. The next verse there, let's go to verse 6. It says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. I love how Paul says it here. He says, let us use them. 
There's no sense in having a gift that God has given us if it lies dormant inside of us, right? He says, let's use those gifts. And then he, he starts calling out different things um, that, that people are gifted with. So if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. Let's go to verse 8. And then it says, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so Paul's point here, I believe, is not to call out every single one of the ways in which you can serve. But I believe what Paul was trying to do here is trying to show us something. He's trying to show us that regardless of what it is that you're able to do, do it. Let's use what we have. Let's use those gifts that God has given us. So over the course of the next few weeks here, we're going to be digging in a little bit further into this as we, you know, we talk through the body part series and go through that. But today, I really want to spend some time talking about something that is really important to Jesus. And I know it's really important to Jesus because it's, it's included everywhere we look in the Bible something that is considered the object of his affection. And that thing is the body of Christ or the church. The church is important to Jesus. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And I've titled my message today, Body Builders. Okay, so Body Builders. Now, Passion Life Church, as Pastor Phil was saying just a few minutes ago, is almost five years old. Okay, so that's a really cool thing. And when Passion Life Church first started, about a year and a half um, into that, or actually from day one for about a year and a half, um, myself, my wife, our family, we were part of the launch team. And so we led worship here. I know my wife was um, kind of helping out with kids' life and, and really helping um, you know, teach there and, and build the, the kids' life area. And... Um, and so one thing that I know for sure is that every single week, whether you know it or not, or have actually realized it, is that there's people that show up here really early in the morning with a trailer, and they unpack this trailer, and they get everything ready for us to actually have church here at 10 o'clock. So all the stuff that you see on this stage wasn't here before they got here, and they worked tirelessly to make sure everything was ready, to make sure the welcome center was ready, to make sure that kids' life was set up and ready to go, um, to make sure that every piece was in its place so that at 10 o'clock we could welcome you and we could actually have church. And actually, the worship team and the setup team, if you guys could stand for just a quick second, everybody that is part of the setup team here and part of worship, come on, let's give them a hand clap. Let's honor these guys. Guys, that is amazing. It really is. It's and I know you do it out of the goodness of your heart, but understand that without you guys sacrificing maybe another hour or two hours of sleep or whatever time you wake up, you guys come in here making your way here to do this on a Sunday when most, most people would really want to just sleep in. That's amazing, guys. Thank you for what you do. So yeah, let's give them one more hand clap. You guys are amazing. These guys unload trailers, set things up, get everything ready. And then shortly after, all of the, the things are in place and um, we start having more uh, volunteers, people who serve in different areas of the church start, you know, arriving and getting materials ready and, you know, and start putting the finishing touches on everything that needs to get done. Um, and what's really cool about all of that is that every single one of those people that you saw standing and everybody else that serves in any other area, um, are actually 100% volunteers. 
They're not on staff. They're not receiving a paycheck. They're doing this because they want to help build God's house. They understand the importance of building God's house. Yeah. You know, the definition of a volunteer is a person who freely offers to take part in an enterprise or undertake a task. That's what a volunteer is. Now, what I want you to think about is even though you're volunteering your time to come and to to be a part of of doing whatever needs to get done to actually make church happen, whether it's on a Sunday or it's during the week, during life groups or any other time, maybe it's during you're on the worship team and there's rehearsals and all that, what I want you to think about is that you've actually moved from a place of volunteering to a place of being considered and considering yourself a servant. And here's the reason why, because the definition of a servant is a person who performs duties for others, and then another part of that definition says this, a devoted and helpful follower or supporter. How many of you are devoted to Jesus? Devoted to Jesus. And so out of that outpouring, out of the overflow of that devotion towards Jesus, you're coming and you're serving other people. That moves you away from sort of the concept of just, I'm, I'm just volunteering, right? I volunteer, you can volunteer at the food bank. I volunteer at, uh, you know, Mama's Kitchen they have in San Diego, or they have, um, let's see, the Red Cross. And those are all really cool places to go and volunteer your time. But it's a little different when you're serving in the house of God. And so I want you to think about what you do here as you are serving. And church doesn't operate so much because people are willing to just simply undertake a task. Church operates because of people who are willing to perform duties because they are devoted followers of Jesus. Yeah. So let's talk about the church for just a second. In, in Matthew 15, or excuse me, Matthew 16, verse 18, and we're not going to go there, but very quickly here, um, Jesus says that he is going to build his church, and then he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's one of the few things that Jesus said that he was going to build, that he was going to build. And what's cool about that is he said, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So we already know if he said the gates of hell will not prevail then we know for a fact it will not. It's a done deal. We have the victory. The the church is also what the Bible describes in various different places, and uh, I think I mentioned it a couple of minutes ago. The church is described in the Bible as the bride of Christ. How many married people do we have here today? Let's see. Yeah, so just about everybody here (laughs) understands and can relate to what a groom feels towards the bride. And I remember when I was marrying Lily and, and waiting uh, up there, don't get upset. My father-in-law's looking at me like, yeah. I remember standing there waiting for that moment for her to like come around the corner and I would see her. And I remember just the anticipation of, oh my gosh, I'm about to get married to the woman of my dreams. And then I remember her coming around the corner and just, oh my gosh, this overwhelming feeling of, man, I love her. I love her, and I still love her to this day. It's 20, 20 years, 20 and... Wow. 20 years and seven months we've been married, yeah. And, and, and so I put myself into Jesus's, uh, you know, kind of his shoes or his sandals. And, um, 
And I think about that, right? I think about that's the way that he views us. He views us with that same love, that same anticipation for the day that we are going to be able to spend an eternity with him in heaven. He's waiting. He's, he, and and he, he, can't, he's, he's, he, he looks at us through eyes of love. And that's who Jesus thinks. That's how Jesus thinks of us. He considers us, the church, as his bride. The church is also the place where people can come and encounter God. They can come here and encounter God. You know, the job of, of the, the worship team every single week is not just to come here and to play some music for the first 15 to 20 minutes so that if people are running late, you know, they have an opportunity to get here before, you know, Pastor Phil gets up here and starts speaking. The worship team gets up here every single week for a really important purpose, and that's to create an environment and an atmosphere for the Spirit of God to move so that everybody that's here, regardless of whether you've been here for years or this is your very first time coming here, have an opportunity to have a face-to-face encounter with God. And that's what this team does every single week. So this is a place where people can come and they can encounter God. The church is also the place where people's lives are transformed. Maybe some people that are here today, your life is in the process of being transformed. This is the place where marriages are restored, relationships are restored, and people can find their purpose. That's what the church is. That is the importance of the church. You know, John 21, 15, and again, we're not going to go there here because we don't have enough time to go through all these verses, but in, in John 21, 15, there's, there's a really interesting exchange that happens between Jesus and Peter, and I'm going to summarize this, but actually we were talking about this with, with uh, the worship team a couple of weeks ago, is, you know, Jesus is talking uh, to Peter, and this is after he had um, resurrected Right? So after he died and he resurrected, and he's with Peter. And he asks Peter this question. He says, Peter, do you, do you love me more than, than, than those? Like, do, do, do you really love me? And, and Peter kind of goes, Jesus, I mean, you, you know I love you. I mean, you know that. And then Jesus' response here is striking to me. He says, well, then feed my sheep. And then Peter goes, okay. I don't know. I added that. I don't know if you okay. But then, then Jesus said, right after that, he said, Peter, tell me, do you love me? And, and Peter goes, you know, Jesus, you, you, know, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, well, then tend to my sheep. So then Jesus turns around a third time and says, Peter, do you love me? And, and the Bible says that Peter kind of was a little distraught because Jesus kept asking him this. And he kind of knows that Jesus knows everything. <laughs> so he's like, uh, it, Jesus, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And then Jesus' response the third time was then, then feed my sheep. And what I think is so interesting about that is what Jesus was trying to communicate in that moment was that the evidence to Jesus 
that Peter actually did love him and didn't just say that he loved him was that he would tend, he would serve, he would feed his sheep. You see that? You see that direct correlation? That's Jesus. That's Jesus saying that. Jesus is saying, if you love me three times, he's saying, okay, then, then feed my sheep, tend to my sheep, serve them, pay attention to them, love on them. Joel Osteen said this. this, this I think this quote takes me a while to kind of like uh, digest it, but he says this. He says, you can, com- you can be committed to church, but not committed to Christ. Let's pause there for a second. You can be committed to church, but not committed to Christ. What that means is that you could, in theory, show up to church every single Sunday, sit in the same seat or sit in a different seat, doesn't matter, every single week. But that doesn't mean that you have a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't mean that you have initiated that relationship with him. That means that you found somewhere to go on a Sunday morning. And sure, the word of God is powerful and it's strong and it's There's a lot of other places you could be. This is a great place to be. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you you are committed to Christ. The second part of this quote says, but you cannot be committed to Christ and not be committed to the church. And what that means is that if you truly do have a commitment to Jesus and you truly do love him and you have that relationship, then by default, by definition, then you're committed to, to church. You're committed to the house of God. You're committed to serving others. You're committed to tending to his sheep. You're committed to feeding his sheep. Isaiah, I want to read something here. I think we do have this scripture, Isaiah 28, 16. So I want, I want us to take a look at this for a second. And this scripture here is, Isaiah was, was a prophet, as I'm sure most of you know. And Isaiah was on the scene Um, about 800 years, give or take, before Jesus actually walked the planet. So Isaiah said this. Isaiah said, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. This was a prophetic word that Isaiah was actually speaking about Jesus, the son of man that was to come, who was going to be this foundation, who was going to be this cornerstone. Um, And historically, the cornerstone was the most important piece of the foundation um, on which the rest of the foundation was was built and established. Now, let's go to the next verse, which is in uh, Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Now, we've, we've fast forwarded here now roughly about 800 years or so. And this is now Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. And so, here he goes. He says, now therefore, you are no longer, and again, the, the, the you is the church. So regardless of whether the church was in Ephesus or in Corinth or in Rome or in Marietta, doesn't really matter. It's the church. So he says, now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Let's go to the next verse having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief what? The chief cornerstone, okay? 
So Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, verse 21 says, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So here he's now, he's now sort of, uh, what's the word that I should use here? He's now tying together what had already been prophesied by Isaiah 800 years ago, fast forward 800 years later, and he's saying essentially the same thing, a little bit more detail. But this scripture and this passage doesn't end here. Let's look at verse 22. It says, in whom you, the church, are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. What that means is that, here we go, Isaiah and Paul say exactly the same thing. Jesus is the cornerstone of the foundation of the church. You following? Okay. And then Paul goes on further to say earlier in in the verses that we just read that that the apostles um, form, you know, the prophets, they form part of that foundation as well. But then it says there in verse 22, in whom you also are being built into this structure. Each one of us is a rock that makes up part of this structure, which is the church. You see, the concept of a church without people doesn't exist. We are the church. Individually and collectively, we are the church. We are the engine that actually causes for this thing to be able to move and to be able to go down the road and to be able to continue to reach people and impact lives and to share the love of Jesus with other people. That is what the church does in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place. I love that. So here at Passion Life, I think you all know, I've said it many, many times already, there are so many different areas to serve in. There's, there's ministries that we don't even have yet because we haven't had the person that says, you know what? I want to do this. Pastor Phil, I want to serve. I want to be a part of making a difference. I want to do outreach ministry or I want to do translation for people that maybe don't understand English. Or I, I, want, I mean, just the list can go on and on and on. Food pantry, all sorts of things. And, and understand, I, I've I know Pastor Phil very well, and I know that his heart, in his heart, it is to do all of these things to make a difference in people's lives and ultimately to show people the love of Jesus. But when you recognize that your love for Jesus, remember what Jesus and Peter's exchange was there, is expressed through you actually tending to his sheep and serving people something powerful begins to shift inside of you. And the Bible says that when you start doing that and your roots start growing deep in the house of God, the Bible says things in your own life will begin to change. You see, you're serving other people begins to bless you in ways probably you would never expect. Psalm 92.13 says this. It says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Planted, again, doesn't mean sitting on a, on a seat and keeping it warm. Planted means getting involved, 
making a difference, serving other people, tending to the sheep, loving on people. That's what planted means. I don't know about you, but I want my life to flourish. Anybody here want your life to flourish? And we're hearing right here exactly how that that works. How can we make that happen? And David, we've been been looking at David too over the last couple of weeks uh, with the worship team. And and one of the things that David said in Psalm 27, 4 is he says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. He said, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David was on to something, right? He's like, man, one thing I know for sure, this is the place I want to be. Let me tell you, there's no better place that you can be on a Sunday than in the house of God. And for any other day, for that matter. So, so he said that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. So the word dwell really means to live in or to reside in a place. I'm going to use a loose definition of mine. That is, dwell means to make a place your home. Okay? You guys follow me with that definition? To make a place your home. So over the last couple of uh, months, Lily and I and our, our family have been on this adventure, uh, we actually made a decision to sell the house that we were in for 10 years and, uh, and buy a, a different house. Notice I didn't say a new house. I said a different house. And so that, we, we did just that. We, we sold our home. Thank God. Um, the market was perfect for us to sell. And, uh, and then we went out and we found another house that we, that we thought we would like and we do like. And um, it's a great house. We were looking for more land, more property, um, and we got that. It's a great house. The difference between these two houses is that the house we bought that we used to have was a house that was built in 2007. The house that we bought uh, just recently was built in 1998. Okay? It's a big difference between a house that was built in 2007 versus one that was built in 1998, and we're experiencing those differences uh, every day. But Every single day for the last couple of months, we've been working little by little to make that house into our home. There's a series of things you got to do to make a house go from just simply a structure to a place where you feel comfortable calling it your home. This is my, this is my place. This is my home. So what are those things that you do? We've done all sorts of things uh, to, to our home. I see Lily, she's looking at me going, I know. And my father-in-law right here is rolling his eyes because I say we've done all sorts of stuff. My father-in-law right here has done probably 99% of those things. He's a general contractor and an amazing uh, handyman and does all sorts of amazing things. So, um, but, but I wanted to talk real quick about the correlation between what you do to make a house your home like really your house, your home, and also the house of God, what you do to build the house of God. There's an interesting correlation between the two. So the first thing I do is I provide resources for it. How many of you know that every single thing that you want to do to your house requires something called money? Money, right? A, one single Costco run. It's like 200, 300 bucks. And, and, and those don't stop at one time a month. I mean, you, you got to go back again. We got to go back to Costco. 
You got you know, we need toilet paper. You need like, we need 80 rolls of toilet, how many rolls of toilet paper? So, you know, from Costco runs to, I know um, our, our house, this house came with a, a pool, which is amazing. We love it. The pool's, the pool's awesome. But all the pool equipment was from 1998. So we had to, we had to actually change out that pool equipment and make it current so that it would be more energy efficient. So guess what? I had to pay money to do that. All of our landscaping, the grass was dying, so we had to pay money to actually bring that back so that the grass would actually look green and, and, and it would look beautiful. But there's the mortgage, there's insurance, there's utilities, there is home goods. <clears throat> Lily, you guys have home goods out here? My goodness, we love it. Yes, we love home goods. Right, Lily? Yeah. Home Depot, decor. I, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Well, guess what? To build the house of God, you need resources, right? All of this equipment that you see up here doesn't look like a, maybe a, a ton of equipment, but there's a lot of money represented up here. And outside, all the things that we have, the curriculum, the things that you don't see, the curriculum for kids' church, all, or kids' life, all sorts of, 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 of things behind the scenes, um, you know, website, all sorts of things require that we bring our tithes and our offerings to, to his house. Those tithes and offerings are essential for us to be, ha- be able to have a place that we're proud of. You know, David, in First Chronicles, said this before he died. He was letting Solomon, his son, know because what David wanted to do for a good chunk of his life was to build the temple of God. He wanted to build the house of God. And what David said is he said, the house of God must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious. See, David understood it. I'm telling you. David knew that the house of God, he is he is the most glorious of all. He is the God, the creator of all. If we're going to build a place for him, it has to be a magnificent place. All of that requires resources. We bring our tithes and our offerings to the house. Number two, we prepare, we build, and we maintain things. How many of you know in your house there are all sorts of things that need to be built maintained. I talked already about your, your pool. Uh, if you have a pool, talked about your yard, your grass, the water, the sprinklers, um, just, you know, the paint, the paint gets old over time. Your roof, you got to repair the roof. You got to maintain the roof. That's expensive. There's all sorts of things. You got to build and set things up when you buy new furniture. How about Ikea? You guys ever been to Ikea and bought like a bookshelf this big that has like an 80-page how-to-build-it thing? And like, how about those instruction booklets that like 80 pages and it only has like number one and it just shows you a drawing? And you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like you have to kind of like imagine, okay, I guess I'm supposed to take that screw and put it over there. And But point is here, we have to build things and set things up. Same thing in our church. We have to maintain. We have to prepare. We have to get things ready. We have to, I mean, there's things that we see physically. 
on the stage and, and outside the welcome center and again, the things over maybe in, in kids' life that we can actually physically see. But did you know that there's all sorts of preparation that happens throughout the week and throughout the months, believe it or not, to be able to have things work the way that they do? You know that the kids' life area, there's a curriculum, so we have to figure out which curriculum we believe is gonna be the right curriculum for our kids at this church. We have to study that. The teachers who are gonna teach in there, they have to look at those things, those materials, get ready, so that when your kids show up, they can deliver exactly what needs to be delivered per that curriculum. That's all preparation. Pastor Phil has to prepare every single week for what he's gonna bring you, but aside from every single week, he has to also plan months in advance what the various different series and topics and themes are going to be so that the church can move and grow and learn and, and, and go from one place to the next based on the vision that God continues to give him. The worship team. You know, the worship team has been already thinking about Christmas songs. What are we going to be doing for Christmas? What are the carols that we're going to be singing? And, you know, what is that going to look like? And, you know, we're going to start rehearsing those in the next week and, you know, get things ready. But while all that's happening, guess what? We also have to have the set list that's going to happen for next week and the week after that and, 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 and you know, who's leading what and working on songs. And all of those things require preparation in order to make this house a house that we call and we want to call our home. It's all people serving. We prepare food, number three, and I'm going to move rather quickly here. We know this. We're Hispanic culture, and food is probably the most important thing. It's like food and then kids. Are, I think it, that's the, it's, food is important. No, Jaden, it's, it's kids, and then food. But food is really important for us. Why? Because it's kind of like, I don't know, I don't know if we've ever really like formally talked about this, but the moment that you actually prepare a meal in your home and you, and you invite somebody to come over, or, or you're, you're just your family, you serve it to them, it's like, it's almost like, okay, we're done with like the in and out you know, and the California burrito, and, and we're done with all those things. We are now, we've now actually prepared a meal, and this is now, this is now home, because we can now cook here. We can actually do the things that we want to do to bless other people and to feed other people. And so in our home, we love when we have people over. We love being able to, to make some meals and prepare food for them or grill outside. That's all awesome. So building our church, guess what? No different. Every single week, Pastor Phil stands up here, or a guest speaker that he brings through, and they provide a meal a spiritual meal for us, for us to be able to, to, to chew on it, to grow, to think, to study, to take notes, and throughout the week, you listen to the podcast, or, you know, to, to, to meditate. Meditate isn't weird, okay? Meditate just means go over what it is that you've already heard. Review your notes, study it, take a look in your Bible, read, if, if he reads a, a scripture, maybe read you know, read a couple scriptures above it, a couple scriptures below that. Read the entire passage. Do learn, grow, but that's all done through the food that's prepared here. I know, I know Pastor Phil, he doesn't take lightly who actually stands on this platform. But I can tell you, he's told me the people that have come through here, and you know, him included, you guys, you guys have some great, great speakers that come through here. You guys are blessed. 
And so any time, every opportunity that you have when you hear, regardless of whether it's Pastor Phil or somebody else coming, come expecting to learn. Come expecting to grow. Come expecting to tell God, God, I'm going to church today, and today I want you to show me something that I've never seen before. I want you to speak to me, God. Number four, love and care for my family. This one I probably don't have to say much about because I think everybody in building your own homes do exactly the same. We care for our, our children if we have kids. We care for our spouses. We love them. Our kids, we teach them. We teach them life principles. If we have a dog, we take them to Target with us. We love our family. We, we love to be able to have a, a home that is nurturing and, and, and inviting. I know Lily and I have had people over our house for many years, and they've always told us that every time they come into our house, they feel this peace in our house. I love hearing that. I love hearing that because that's not something that we specifically physically are doing. I mean, we're just, hey, welcome to our house. But it's the presence of God in that home that's causing them to feel that there's this peace in that situation. So just the same way that we love and care for our family, we love and care for you at Passion Life Church. I know Pastor Phil and Valerie pray for you guys. They love you guys. They're always telling us stories about you guys, good things about what's going on in your lives. They want your businesses to flourish. They want you to prosper. They want your lives to be blessed. They want you to be healthy. I know that because they love you. And let me tell you, a healthy church can impact the world. I, I heard this staggering statistic. 45,000 Americans kill themselves each year. 45,000 Americans kill themselves each year. And for every one of those, for every one of those, listen to this, 25 other people try and failed. People need the church. People need the church. Let me remind you, the church isn't this facility. The church is us. The church needs people who are tending to them, who are showing them the love of God, who are serving them, who are feeding them when they need to be fed. 1 Peter 4, this isn't up there, but 1 Peter 4, 8 uh, says this. It says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sin. Listen to verse 9. It says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. You see the common thread through the Bible of serving other people, laying your life down for someone else? The Bible says that no greater love exists than for a man to lay down his life for someone else. And oftentimes we hear that scripture and we think, oh yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd stand in front of a bullet for my wife or for my family or for my kids, but it's not so much about standing in front of you know, a gun or a bullet or laying your life down means putting your own self aside and just simply serving other people. Getting outside of your comfort zone to do something for someone else. 
In John 13, one other thing I'll say here, it's not up there either, is Jesus was talking to his disciples. And remember, the disciples knew all about the law, and they knew all about the Ten Commandments, and they knew about all of that. And Jesus said, hey, in John 13, verse 34, if you want to read it later, he says, a new commandment I give to you. So they're like, oh, this is a new commandment. He says, that you love one another as I have loved you. What a commandment. Man, that's hard. I got to love other people. But Jesus said, love other people. This is a commandment I'm giving you. And the last one, number five, is that we invite other people to our house. Again, we love having people over. We love having family and friends over to our house. We've lived in our house now for, I think it's what, two months? A little over two months. And in those two months, we have had, let's see here. I think I wrote some of these things down. Uh, We've already had kids' friends sleep over, right? That happens like all the time. So we've had friends, kids' friends sleep over. We've had family in from out of town, which was awesome. Our teenage daughter's friends came over to hang out. Some of them went in the pool. They were hanging out outside. That was awesome. My sister-in-law had a baby shower. And and no, Val's not pregnant. This is my other (laughs) sister-in-law. You're not, right? Okay. This is just checking. (laughs) But but check this out. When, When you invite people to come over to your house, really what you're doing is you're really inviting people to come over and enjoy numbers one through four that we just went through. All the things that I've done to prepare my place for you to come over, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it ready. I'm going to clean things off. I'm going to get my house ready. I'm going to put my things in order. I'm going to go and buy some groceries and have some special things over for you guys. And I'm going to have a great time. And I'm going to, when you come over, I'm going to show you my love towards you. That's what I do at my house when I invite people over to our house. And it's the same thing in the house of God. When we invite a friend to come to church with us, what they're coming is they're coming to see and experience what we have all been preparing for that moment. That moment for them to come in, to sit in one of these chairs and to experience the presence of God that we know is a life-transforming presence. That's what we do. We invite people to come over, and, and our hope is that God can have an encounter with them in this service and show them the love that he's already showed us. You see, Jesus was the ultimate servant. The Bible says that he didn't come to the world to, to be served. It says he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many people. The king of kings, the king of the universe, the creator of all, didn't come for us to serve him. He came to serve us and to give his life. The Bible says that when he was crucified, the Bible says that he didn't, they didn't kill him. The Bible says that he laid his life down and he did that for each one of us because he loves us. So Jesus didn't go to the cross, listen to this, and he didn't lay down his life simply because he was undertaking a task. Jesus did that because he was devoted to you. The ultimate servant, that's who Jesus was. And he tells us today, do you love me? 
Do you love me? Tend to my sheep. Feed my sheep. Serve my people. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.